0: The Rise Up Sea
1: Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now, here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox.
0: Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. I'm your host, Jess Root, from CardsWire.com, the USA Today NFL Wire site covering the Arizona Cardinals. And with me is co host Seth Cox from RevengeOfTheBirds.com, the SB Nation Arizona Cardinals site. And we are on episode. 411 on a recording on a Tuesday night is, is typical we only had the one show last week I'll be honest I kind of wanted to do another show but it was my worst birthday at the end of last week and I just didn't want to do it so sorry guys Sorry. well to,
1: to be fair also there wasn't really much to talk about after uh, after the last show with uh, nothing happened until this weekend and then
0: we did we did get two linebacker signings two more linebackers
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's exciting. Who knew?
0: Who knew? Steve Kine was still working in the building, signing all the inside line, all the off the ball linebackers.
1: Yeah, I mean, we gotta gotta get ready for special teams, right? <laughs> so,
0: in this edition of the show, four hundred and eleven, we're going to talk about the edition, the two signings that happened over the week uh, since last Tuesday. Um, Jonathan Gannon spoke to the media on Tuesday, so we will talk a little bit about that. Uh, about a couple of the highlights, and, and later this week I'll, I'll delve more into that, I think, more Seth and I will both do that. And it's betting time. The, the 2023 win totals are out for the over-under set for win projections, and the Cardinals have it bad. So let's start with the addition of our two new off-the-ball linebackers, and one would be Josh Woods. Former Detroit Lions player. That, that signing, you know, you're like, oh boy, another Langer. But he makes sense. He's just a special teams guy. He's the guy that's replacing. He's the guy that, you know, he fills the role that Camu Gruzier heel slash Tanner Vallejo slash Joe Walker had. If he plays, you, you know, or another Zeke Turner, he was a captain on Detroit. And then the second one is Chris Barnes. And he actually had had starting. And so now you've got got another guy who's done a lot of starting to a linebacker room where you already have three starters. Um, What should we know about Woods and Barnes?
1: I think you nailed it with Woods. It's one of those signings where he is 100% a special teams guy. I mean, he is the guy that is kind of the, like you said, the captain of the special teams. He is a playmaker, Um, I know Ron Wolfley was a fullback, but it's kind of, you know, that type of guy, right? Like a guy that is going to play on all the specials, Sands, field goal block, and and he's going to be a guy that, you know, puts up 25, 27 tackles on the season. And like you said, if he's on the field, it's a negative. And that brings us to the second signing of of, uh, Chris Barnes, right?
0: Yeah, a guy that I'm sure we – I remember the name. I think we talked about him back uh, before we got drafted.
1: Yeah, and and basically Barnes is here to be the main backup. And so that's the thing is like you look at what they're doing and, you know, we talked about with Daly, ideally with Froholt. You know, they're bringing in – Depth so it's ready to go, ready made depth. Um, if those you know, Barnes is a better starter than Froholt or Daly in his career, just from a output standpoint, right? right like, and he, he's, he's had if you're looking more at success,
0: he's you'd think he's kind of more of like their signing of Nick Vigil last year, only right. Vigil they projected as a starter, kind of, sort of, yeah. Um, but it's kind of that sort of signing, a guy who has pretty okay starter play. But
1: a guy that a guy that you I mean, it's it's the classic guy you're always looking to replace. So if it's your lead backup, you're like, hey, this is really good depth. Whereas like if he's your starter, you're like, we probably could upgrade this position. Right. And so I don't think there's any issues with that um, as long as they don't go draft you know a, a <laughs> guy now like i feel like it it makes sense because you have Isaiah Simmons you have
0: um David Collins, Collins you got you're white. white
1: and then if if you do draft Will Anderson you're basically you're full i mean your your linebacker room's full as is, but like if you you know so the other thing it makes me wonder and this is you know a conversation for another day but something that you and i have heard a lot of whispers about is you know and, and they haven't picked up isaiah uh, simmons fifth year option yet
0: they still it's, technically have over a month
1: right and so i don't want anybody to think it's a panic or anything like that but it makes me wonder and, and i want to get your opinion on this do we think that they're going to try Simmons in the Hassan Reddick role and if so are these murmurs about their desire to move down more about that they don't want to feel like they have to draft Will Anderson Jr. I mean obviously they want the uh, extra picks that will be you know garnered with that but you know we've heard from multiple people that they have an infatuation with both Tyree Wilson and Christian Gonzalez. So like, could it just be the idea that like, Hey, if we move out of three, you know, we've got Simmons in this role already. We want to see what he can do in this role. You know, we've got that. All that does is that makes it a little bit easier to be like, Hey, we didn't take Will Anderson because we moved. And by the way, we got, you know, an extra second round pick and the next year's second round pick from the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, maybe that I, I know I'm just kind of speculating, but like it would make sense why they've put an emphasis on, on adding like a Barnes and a Kaiser white, because, because like you said, those are both guys with really big starting experience, you know, and especially white in, in Gannon's defense
0: and the white sign the white sign signing made sense from the beginning. Barnes is interesting and 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 also with with on the heels of the news that came on Tuesday that um Isaiah Simmons apparently had an injury that he got good news about. Um so it's kind of that I am interested or or for me and Gannon talked about on Tuesday the idea of having versatility guys who can play multiple spots. I I'm really intrigued like how maybe they need Simmons, so they need another guy to come in because, you know, they're going to be, you know, sliding Isaiah Bauck out to the slot, um, have him rush in the passer, having to do multiple things. They don't know exactly. Uh, he didn't seem to think that the that they were going to have. They they aren't going to kind of define yet what he does because they want to see him on the field first. But and there's also the possibility, you know. Let's throw this out there, that it will, they whether they're waiting to do that, but, you know, he's got the fifth-year option coming up. And Buda Baker would be in a position where they could move him next offseason, and you transition Simmons to safety, which he just becomes a special safety with his size and speed, a uh, safety with linebacker traits.
1: Yeah, and I think all of those things, I mean, I think the easiest explanation is it's just adding solid depth. Right. And
0: but, and well, and here's the thing because Chris Barnes, if I recall, let me pull it up. Um, it's not like he was going to get big attention because he was coming off a year in which he played last year, he only played in 6 games.
1: Right, he was injured for much of the season and And, and so,
0: uh, even though he was a a starter for 2 years essentially, for Green Bay the previous two years, his first two years in the league. When you have a year like that and you miss most of the year with injury, a guy who was a former undrafted guy and he wasn't he wasn't like a high end starter, but he's a pretty all right starter, you're not gonna be you're not gonna get a guaranteed starting job somewhere. And so that makes sense too. He's gonna that that's one of those deals where you're gonna have to prove it and we'll see what the contract is, but I would bet that it's probably a vet minimum contract. I haven't you know, those numbers haven't come across. My bet, it's probably worth $1.23 Um,
1: And he got two years as well? Is that what you just I think said? He, I think it was just the one. Oh, just the one. Yeah, let me see if there's anything on it yet. But, yeah. So, I mean, that's what I said. It's, it's People want to always assume the worst. But I think it's just one of those situations where you just, you know, you, you add... Um, you add a guy that's a veteran starter that has it, had success in the NFL. So why not at least do that? Yeah, one it's their deal.
0: one position that they're done at,
1: right? <laughs> okay, no,
0: no, uh, they're done at quarterback. Apparently, though, they could not be done if they wanted to. But at linebacker, they're done. They they have everything they need.
1: Right, and th- that's what I'm saying. Like, they're whether it's O line depth, and we'll talk about that later, right, or uh, now linebacker depth, it's just it's an interesting way to go about it, but maybe those were the positions where they felt comfortable with the starters. and people can argue about them feeling comfortable with the starters on the O line and and liked what depth that they can bring in.
0: It makes sense. It makes sense. Coming up next on the Rise Up C-Red podcast, the best of our Cardinals talk on the web. The quarterback room. Apparently they're done. We'll talk about it. That's coming up next on Rise Up C-Red. They're back on the Res Up red podcast, best of our Cardinals talk on the web. The quarterback room appears to be set. Now, that, I do expect them to, uh, they will add a fourth quarterback. You need the arms for the off-season program, especially once you get to, to mini camp and OTAs. You need those reps. And we know Kyler Murray won't participate. Um, we do not know to what extent that Colt McCoy will be able to participate after his, um, his minor off-season procedure, for which we do not know what that is.
1: But, By the way, when, when you say that most people know it's because of an injury, but it's because of an injury, not because he's not wanting to participate. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's right, that's right. Kyler is not just sitting out. Kyler's rehabbing his ACL. He can't. He will be in the building there's a lot of Ross, there's a lot of bonus money tied into that. He didn't agree to that. He didn't agree to that deal to not to get that money. He'll, he'll be there. Kyler will be in the building. Kyler has been in the building a lot this offseason. He recently went back to Dallas to go be checked on. And you know, he's about he's ready to take the next step with some strength work. And we've seen some of the stuff on on Twitter. But but the and we talked about the David Blau signing. It appears and, and and even Darren Urban, who writes for the Cardinals on easycardinals.com, suggests that the Cardinals are done at the quarterback position in terms of veterans. They are actually going to roll into this season with Colt McCoy, David Blau, and either a quarterback they draft or sign as an undrafted rookie.
1: Yeah, and like we kind of talked about last week, I don't have a problem with it. Like, you know, we, and I thought you were the most astute with this when it was kind of coming around. Um, people wanted there to be more urgency for the quarterback position thinking that if there was, this is a team that's looking to compete for 2023. And you and I kind of caution that it's not that they're not trying to compete, but the overall roster makeup becomes very difficult to pay another quarterback because – like we said before, there's a
0: lot of guaranteed money. Like you've got the Kyler guaranteed money tied up. I mean, that's guaranteed. You've got Colt McCoy, who's got two and a half billion of of guaranteed money of his more than three million dollars in salary. Were you gonna pay five to ten million for of a, a more established vet? That money wise, it did roster management wise, it doesn't make sense financially.
1: Right. And and I think that's, you know, the whole thing. I mean, were you going to give Jacoby Brissett eight million dollars?
0: Right. And and then are you gonna are you gonna pay Colt McCoy three million dollars to be your third stringer?
1: Right. So now all of a sudden you have eleven million dollars in backups when your guy comes back. And we talked about the Brissett thing, like the fact that he could go to um Washington and now have a chance to start makes a huge deal. Um, you know, same thing with Baker Mayfield, right? Like this is a guy that wants a chance to start. The one that made, you know, maybe you can argue with is, is Dobbs. He got, you know, um, he got a one year, $2 million contract. With with the Browns, but we talked but about is it last Josh week. Dobbs like,
0: any better than David Blau?
1: That's what and that's <laughs> that's the question, and that's you know what's interesting is Monty was around Dobbs,
0: right, right? Exactly. So he he was in the building where they had Dobbs
1: last year. So like, if he wasn't putting an emphasis on it, then I'm not super concerned, you know, about it because they obviously feel like this is the route to go right and, and Teddy Bridgewater
0: season. who makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons because he has connections with Drew Petzing. he has you know who else did he have connections with but there was definitely Petsing because Petzing was on Minnesota's staff um well, I guess Gannon too both Petzing and and Gannon were on Minnesota's staff when Teddy was drafted by the Vikings.
1: Yeah, and so I mean, you just—I mean—you have guys that were available, but like we said, it, unless you were cutting McCoy and then eating that contract, and let's be honest, then you're probably not bringing back David Blau. And we just talked about it—you have to have a camp arm this off season. Um, you know, I just—I'm not gonna say I didn't find it necessary. I just didn't see the—I didn't see it as the priority. But you know, again, maybe. Maybe it's about bringing realistic expectations to this.
0: Yeah. The, the interesting thing is, um, and I get, I get the cut notion, the fact that Gannon and Petsing are, they are doing a legitimate competition. It feels what will be a legitimate competition between McCoy and Blau to be the guy to start the season. Um, I think that is... Partially because they they don't have any connection with Colt McCoy or David Blau, honestly. David Sears, the assistant general manager, does because he was with the Lions when he was, I think he was the director of college scouting when they brought him in as an undrafted rookie. But I think it is both the fact that they, you know, Colt McCoy had all the, he had built up a cache of trust with Cliff Kingsbury. And so he was like, he was to Cliff what Drew Stanton was to Bruce Arians. Um he's not that to david to jonathan gannon so you have him and you, you keep him you you respect him okay but, but you have to compete you're going to compete with david Blau, a guy who who has seen like his playing time opportunities like he wasn't bad he wasn't terrible in his two starts he's shown improvements every time he's had opportunities to play then he's a you know he's a younger guy and so you allow that competition and and you know a guy who's thirty six, thirty seven years old and you're telling him you're setting the culture for the organization for the roster, okay. I don't care what you were before, you're competing. You're competing. We're gonna we're gonna compete and we're gonna bring the best out of you. Um I have no problem with that. And and if in fact David Blau beats out Colt McCoy, that'll be something.
1: Right, and good for him.
0: So I would guess the next quarterback that we see brought in will be one they draft in the late rounds or an undrafted an undrafted rookie I, I would imagine um, because they will start they won't actually start OTAs OTAs until where they can actually throw the ball um, until after the draft and so they'll have their first mini camp in the the week of the draft. But that will still be phase two, so they don't do any team on team. So they're they're not they're they are not one on one. The quarterbacks can throw the ball, but the receivers are are running against nobody. They're just doing organiza- They're doing one side of the ball drills. Uh, the linemen are blocking trash cans or <laughs> or sleds, or their the receivers are are their the quarterbacks are throwing against air defenders and things like that, and so. Uh, they probably won't need necessarily anything else until you get to after the draft.
1: Right, and I think that's the accurate thing.
0: Coming up next on the Rise of red podcast, this our Cardinals talk on the web. Let's talk about the center position because Jonathan Cannon said interest, something quite interesting that I'm not sure I'm ready to believe. That's coming up next on Rise of red we're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, the best hour of our Cardinals talk on the web. Jonathan Gannon speaking to reporters at the NFL annual meeting in Phoenix. They're at the Biltmore. Um, made an inter- There was a comment. They was asked about the center position, and he said that he doesn't think that they need a center because they have guys who have played or can play center on their roster. Currently on the roster, the guys who can or have played center before one is Yelda Froholt. He had four starts last year at center for the Browns. You have Lasita Smith, six-round pick last year, never played center before, but practiced at center in the offseason. And you've got a guy that they brought in on a futures deal, was former, I think, was it both Titans and Patriots offensive lineman, Hayden Howerton, who played some center at SMU in college. Those are the three centers on the roster. Do you believe? Do you really? Do you really believe that Jonathan Gannon believes that they don't need a center because they have centers on their roster?
1: No, I really think this is just them talking about right now, going into the draft, knowing that they're probably going to add a center, um, but if they don't, that there's still a bevy of veterans available that they can grab and and that's to me where they're at with this i don't think that he's just like yep we're moving forward as is i think this is just more of a concerted effort to to you know like like we talked about a little bit off air is you know express some belief and and give your guys you know a little hey yeah you're the guy and then you know similar you mentioned arians was with uh stanton earlier remember that was the plan until they were able to go get (laughs) Carson palmer and like there's never a problem with having a belief in a guy or or things like that and but also then being realistic and grabbing his upgrade when he's available but you know i think that they end up grabbing a center in the draft whether it's you know a luke Whipler, or john michael schmitz um oh you know one of those guys or or the kid out of Michigan, you know, I can't pronounce his name. I'm not going to try. But, uh, you know, those guys are all going to be draftable and, and can, you know, jump in and, and potentially play in year one. And if if you get that, then I think you're in a good spot uh, for, this, for this year, um, especially when you look at it. I mean, outside of potentially Josh Jones at left guard, which we don't know about quite yet.
0: And um, you know, and also the idea that what Jonathan Gannon said is that when they brought him in that Dennis Daly feels much more comfortable a guard.
1: Right. And so it might be, you know, Dennis Daly versus Josh Jones. And they look at it and they go, "Hey, look, th- these are I mean, I know Jones isn't a veteran in in number of starts, but he's a fourth-year guy. Will Hernandez has been here, you know, been around. Calvin Beacham's." uh You guys went to high school together. I mean, he's been around forever, (laughs) and then and then you know, obviously Hump over at left tackle. Like, you you can afford to have a young center in this instance. Um, You know, maybe if you end up drafting two linemen, right, and you go okay, uh, you end up grabbing you know two you know a right tackle to play over Beach, and then and then a center. You still can do that because again, you've got veterans at the guard position. You know the 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 scary thing is when you put you know maybe two or three rookies right next to each other. But hell, the Chiefs did it and then went to the or yeah went to a Super Bowl right away. Like yeah, you know it's it's one of those situations where you just if you get the right guys, get the right mix, everything can work itself out. You know you, you know we know they didn't add Creed Humphrey and Orlando Brown this off season, but if they, if they or sorry, uh, Joe Thune and Orlando Brown this off season, but you know, if they, if they believe in hump and you know, he's probably better than Brown and they, and they believe in Hernandez and then you add a Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, like player in the draft or two, you're okay to start two rookies and it doesn't hurt you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and, my insight, my, my thought was, you know, if you're going by, why would Gannon say that? Well, what message do you want to send to the players on your roster? He's saying, oh, we don't I don't think we really need a center because we've got guys who can play center. When you say, yeah, we we, we aren't done. We are definitely looking at the center position. as a coach, as a coach, if you say that that to the guy that you just signed and probably were told, hey, you're going to compete for a starting job, Yield a frohold. Um yeah we don't we, we know you're not the guy even though you just signed the guy saying that hey. we're going to let you compete to be the guy. Now Monty Austin Fort the general manager can say, "Yeah, I think we need to upgrade," or "I think we're going to look and see what's out there it's at center, you know, at running back." As the general manager, as head coach, no, you you have to pump up your players publicly. Well, and
1: and you think about last year. I mean, the Eagles drafted Cam Jurgens, traded up, drafted Cam Jurgens in front of the Arizona Cardinals, and all they've done since then is uh, play Jason Kelsey, and then and then Marie resign him, <laughs> Jason Kelsey. So, you know like you said, management is planning on things like, uh, and, and I think this is uh, where a disconnect always comes in is that, you know, management buys the groceries, but at the end of the day, the coach kind of prepares the meal. And, and if they like what they have, you know, already there's no reason to rush it out there and that and i think we've seen that a lot with the cardinals obviously but it's it's kind of standard operating procedure like i know that they talk to the players and and things like that but you know the eagles are a very well-run organization and they just drafted a center in the second round who's now going to be sitting for a second consecutive year maybe he gets to play with Isaac Seamalo leaving but you know th- th- this is a guy that was a second round pick that may not see the field for two full years um that isn't a surprise because you they were preparing for life after Kelsey whenever that happens and i'm not saying that you know Froholt is anywhere in that <laughs> stratosphere obviously but you you have to treat it in a, in, in a similar fashion, right? Like as a coach, you're, you're like, Oh, you're the guy. And then if a guy is just better, then you have that man to man conversation. You're like, Hey, this guy beat you out. Like it is what it is. But um, at the end of the day, I think, you know, you're going to see that they're going to add a center at some point. I just think it's that they're, they're very confident that they can probably get one of those two guys, whether it be 34, um, you know, in a tradeback scenario where they get, you know, pick 38 uh, from the, let's say the the Raiders or, you know, if they end up with a third, an extra third-round pick for Hopkins and can move up.
0: And, and when we were talking before the show, you know, I felt, and maybe this is just kind of the operating procedure, you know, how they did things with Kyne, is that I would find it hard to believe that they would go into the draft without having added a, a an established starter like a, you know, Ben Jones or Connor McGovern or, or something like that. And, I, I just think and, that and, and this off season that this off season, that we might not see till after the draft. And maybe that's kind of the goal. Um, my theory yeah, I, then is this, if, if Ben Jones is still the guy, because he was cut by the Titans on a failed physical, they don't need to sign him right away because he has a failed physical. He's probably rehabbing something,
1: right? And and honestly, like you said, like you look at the veterans available, and it's a lot different than than what we've seen in the years past. Like a lot of these guys typically are getting signed, and we talked about it a little bit last week. Josina Anderson has, has said like agents are not happy. Like they don't like the way that this off season is going. And it's because you're seeing so many one and two year contracts from all teams. You know, everybody was, was looking at the Cardinals and foreshadowing the negativity of like, Hey, uh, this is going to be, you know, they're, they're preparing for life after Kyler. That's why they're signing all these guys to two year deals. It's like, this is something that's going on around the league. They are they're basically not paying guys long term. And it sucks, it is what it is. You and I always are on the side of the players in the situation, but you know, at the end of the day the NFL dictates things. Um so it's it's one of those situations where the Cardinals are taking advantage of the market and and signing a lot of one- and two-year deals uh, because that's what the mar- where the market is right now, and I think you're going to see that uh, play out into May after the draft.
0: And so that, that's a possibility. I, I kind of like the idea that, it, that if that's the way is they're going to go into the draft hoping to get a guy like, um, you know, apparently if you listen to, if you read, um, I think it's the
1: – what's the – Pro Football Network. Pro
0: Football Network, yeah. Tony Pauline, uh, big draft guy, goes at all the pro days, talks to people, that he was told flat out that the Cardinals will draft Luke Whipler. Now, what does that mean? We don't know. There's a lot of moving parts for that. But Ohio State's Luke Whipler, if you listen to the um, – now, if you listen to Seth's podcast with Justin Higdon when they were doing player comps, um the show that they don't play are comps, then you will you will come away from that very, very positive when it comes to Luke Whippler because one, obviously he has a he has a good play, so he's he's a solid day two pick. But you look at his physical comps that even from low end to high end they're solid starting centers, which is <laughs> which is fantastic. So Luke Whipler has me excited um on the if you listen to the show that he just recorded where they brought in Sully, uh, Sully Chiefs, who's their offensive line guru, he's not as excited about Luke Whippler. That said, uh, there are two or three really solid centers out there. Um, Something John Michael Schmitz will end up going in the first round is interesting. Jefferson Riston over DraftWire, my network, um, he wrote, and there's, there's five or six prospects who probably should be drafted in the first round who probably won't, and he listed Schmitz as one of those. That might... perfect if Schmitz falls out of the first round the Cardinals have the third pick of the second round boom solve your center position problem and or like you get two picks and and this is this is actually what I did in my in my most recent mock draft simulation from last weekend is I I got a pick so I we got 34 and I ended up with 38 because the Raiders traded up and I traded out of 34 down to 42 and then I drafted a guard Steve Avila out of TCU with number 38 and then Luke Whipler, center Ohio state with 42 kind of the scenario that Seth was talking about just a moment ago, which wouldn't be, yeah, a nice and scenario. That,
1: no, and that would be super ideal. I mean, like you said, you, you look at it, if you can, you know, and, and again, like I want to emphasize that oh, everybody's got opinions. Um, none of them are right. And that's okay. But when you look at the consensus big board, which is at nflmockdraftdatabase.com, I highly recommend it. At this time of year, you can just literally just go in and and click the consensus big board. One hundred and fourteen big boards compiled, so you you can look at it and say, okay, this is where you know the average of these guys is is falling, and you look at a guy like. Uh, like schmitz right he he falls um in the in the 40s so you feel fairly confident at 34 right like fairly confident not overly confident but fairly confident um and then a guy like whipler who's considered to be like the number two guy um or Tipman's technically the number two guy, but they're right next to each other at 66 and 70. So like, and their peak, so like the top of any big board that has them right now, uh, Schmitz is at 43, Tipman's at 52, uh, Whiplers at 59. So like you're you're just looking at guys that, um, you know, are probably going to be available in that th- 34 to 67 is that what they pick 60ish 6 I think 66 yeah into that range and that's you know again that's kind of what you're hoping to see right like you're you're able to if and again we're not even considering a trade down scenario on this but like if you if you stay at 3 you know you take Will Anderson and then you set at 34 and you can grab a, a John Michael Schmitz. I mean Obviously, Will Anderson's a sexy pick. You're talking about a pass rusher, but John Michael Schmitz is not a sexy pick by any means. Like it's not. <laughs> it, it, you're, but it could be a pick that changes kind of the the outlook of this team in a very positive way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Coming to next on the Rise Up C-Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Let's come back and talk about our last segment, which is about projected win totals. The Cardinals have a low one. That's coming to next on Rise Up C-Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast. Best of Cardinals talk on the web. Win totals are out. What That doesn't really matter for anything other than bettors, people who like to bet on futures. But what this means is that we kind of get a picture as to what the national kind of expectation is for the type of team that you're going to see, and I, I, I believe actually on my neck on the show that I do later in the week, I might do a solo pod that that talks about all of the you know I dabble in in some sports gambling stuff. I'm not a degenerate, but I do write for Sportsbook Wire. That's one of the things that I do. Um, talk about my insights when it comes to the win totals across the league. But Cardinals come in dead last, dead last, tied with the Houston Texans again. The 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 Houston Texans, who are an absolute disaster, right? The Cardinals and the Houston Texans have the lowest projected win total in the NFL. The betting line they they set the over under at five and a half, which means the expectation is the Cardinals will be bad, right? That that's essential. So we expect nationally in terms of betting odds are that the Cardinals are going to be one of the worst teams in the league in 2023.
1: Yeah. And you know, you and I were talking a little, a little bit off the air about it. It makes sense. I mean, I know fans don't want to hear this, but like you look at it, your team that won four games last year. Um, there's uncertainty about when your franchise quarterback's going to be back. Uh, there's questions about your franchise quarterback in general. Yeah. Um, whether or not you and I agree with them or is irrelevant but those are those are questions that are asked uh and then from there you have a roster that won 4 games that you're turning over but it's not like you're upgrading everywhere i mean you're very hamstrung in the salary cap you're looking at a you know what is a two year kind of dig out of this hole unless you figure out that your franchise quarterback is a franchise quarterback, right? Like if the Murray gives you gives you extra boost and all of a sudden, you know, he's he's able to lead you to six or seven and in twenty twenty-three, then all of a sudden you look at it and you go, Oh, okay, then we're on the right path. We're in a good spot. We just need to make sure we get the pieces around him. Um, if he misses a giant portion and comes back, doesn't look like himself and you win three games or four games, that's when you start to go, okay, you know, this might be era might be over soon. And, you know, you're, you're looking at Drake may or, or Caleb Williams and you're starting to those things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not surprised, I guess, by that um, five and a half seems about right, you know, for him last year ideally even coming off you know a regime change with with what is probably the worst roster cap situation combination in the nfl um you you would be able to approve but i mean two games is a lot that being said the Cardinals lost uh, four games last year that they were in a position to win. So maybe, you know, maybe you look at it and you go, huh, maybe they could end up winning, you know, that uh, that Philadelphia game. Maybe they can end up winning that Mississippi. Uh, game maybe they do win that chargers game right like all of a sudden you know maybe they do hold on in against the broncos or tampa bay or atlanta like all of those games were i mean so there's more than four but like four where they could have potentially got a stop um it you know and so i i it's not unexpected um but at the same time, it does suck that you're mentioned with the Texans, right?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Now, the thing is when you look at the the line, so you've got the for those of you who aren't degenerates who do not follow gambling as much as many of us do, there there are basically two different ways for sports books to adjust how you bet. So you have the the you have to set the over under so your your projected total. So you can move that up and down. And and ultimately you try to set it where it's going to try and get fairly even money on both sides. You can also mess with the line for each of those for the for the over or the under or the price or the amount of risk which the, the more the larger the negative number or the more negative the number means the more likely the outcome is considered to happen. And if you have positive odds that's you know that's considered a much it's a riskier bet and therefore the payout is better. So if you look at that so standard, if it's considered basically 5050, you will see a minus 110 is what the line is for. For an over/under, so if they, if if they kind of think that that's right in the sweet spot, they will, where you can kind of get fifty percent um, over and fifty percent under on bets. That minus one ten is where that's at. To give you a little more sadness for the Cardinals is that they have a the projected lowest tied with the Texans um, win total. They also, if you look at the the line. Is you also have uh, a like the, so the Texans, for example, their their over under is at five and a half, but the over and under each is priced at minus one ten, so fifty fifty basically. Actually, they think it's as 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 likely that they will have five wins as they will have fewer the wins kind of the equal shot. The Cardinals, though, the Cardinals, uh, the under is minus one thirty and the over is less one ten, meaning that there is a slightly more that there is a more likely a case that they will finish with five or fewer wins than they will finish finish with six or more. Um implied odds at minus one thirty it's kind of a fifty seven percent chance, implied odds that they will have five or fewer fewer wins. And at plus one time it's about forty six, forty seven percent implied odds that they will have over that. So if you combine the the lowest the l- lowest projected win total and add in the factor of the projected of the lines for each of the betting uh, for the, the over the under they actually are viewed as the worst team in the NFL because they have they have a more likely under odds more likely under odds than the Texans do. That's Freaking awesome. That said, do I like plus one ten on the over? Yes, I do, uh, because that, that you know you get more money. You know, if you bet one hundred, then you win one ten, so you get your hundred back. So you get a two hundred ten dollars payout. So you more than double your you more than double your money, as opposed to getting something um, less than what you bet for the under. I do like the potential for the Cardinals to. Hat to get to six wins, you know, if Kyler comes back, if they can sneak a win or two, while he's out, or just even win, and he comes back and he plays well, and that offensive scheme gets going, uh, the defense picks things up late. You know, I actually, in terms of a as a bet, I like. I like the Cardinals were over.
1: Yeah, and like I said, I I can see where the NFL is coming from this, and as long as Kyler plays. Three quarters of the season or more, I would I would take the over because I think they can sneak out one game in in four to five games, and then I think you know with Kyler they can go five hundred. Yeah, um, and and you know so if he misses five games and but you know he can go six and six or six and seven, I I can see that.
0: Yeah, I, but why is it so low? Well, there's a lot of like they won four games last year. They don't look like they're better. This like honestly, does this roster look like they're better than they were last year with, with Kyler Hurt and JJ Watt retiring and Zach Allen and Byron Murphy leaving in free agency? That's not a team that looks better. Rodney Hudson, who missed most of last season, it just doesn't look like a team that's better. Add into the fact Kyler Murray's his return is uncertain. You have a rookie head coach, but not only a rookie head coach, a rookie general manager, a rookie offensive coordinator, and a rookie defensive coordinator. That is a lot of unknown things. That's a lot that's 100%. a lot to bet on, like to in terms of when you're assessing risk. You know, that's why you give them a low projected total because you, there's just so much unknown about that group. It's and the free agency, the the free agency that they've had has been underwhelming. If you look nationally, now, yes, Jonathan Gads, you don't need, nobody ever won anything in free agency. You're right, nobody won games with free agency, but they've made low-key underwhelming signings and when you already had a team that looks worse than it did and then you add what feels like underwhelming talent and (laughs) you have a new coaching staff that has never been in their positions before and your franchise quarterback is coming off an injury you don't know when and you don't know how effective it'll be afterwards and you don't there's some people who are starting to doubt him as a franchise quarterback wow just listen to all the doubt (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, and, and and doubt and unknown equals low end total. I'm actually surprised it was at five and a half. I really was. I thought it would come in at four and a half. Yeah, so, honestly, yeah, you know, so th- if,
0: if they, now when it comes to, to the, the reason why they have the and a half is because you don't want any pushes. So it, what probably feels like what would have been If you wanted to try and get it at minus one ten, you probably set it at at an even five, which would it gives you a possible push, or maybe even four and a half, and then you set the the price at like minus one twenty on the over, and plus one twenty five on the under. There's that. That's a thing you could have done there as well. Which, by the way, you can do alternate lines if. for for those that uh, you can do that with games you probably can do that with futures so if you if you think if you want to take a riskier bet and go oh we're going to do an alternate line like let's do six and a half and go over six and a half you're going to be able to get a much riskier probably something like plus 180 which you know if you want to play play that game but now we're talking to degenerate stuff here right right
1: exactly (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right, Seth. Um, uh, later, we will have this week. We will at least do one more show. I, I will will determine whether that'll be with Seth and me. Um, if there's some news to talk, about, actually, we we might break down some stuff. I need to listen to what Gannon said. It'll either be me breaking stuff down, but I think I will go through. Um, you know, kind of focus on the projected win totals on all the teams in the NFL. Give you my takes on on those betting lines, but. With that, this is episode 411. That's Seth Cox. I'm Jess Root. This is the Rise Up Sea red podcast. Thanks for listening as always. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red.